So as you pretty well have figured out, we've been talking about for the last several weeks about pursuing God and following God and pursuing God. Uh, this world's messed up. So I need to tell you loud and clear, you better buckle up buttercup. Because everything that I'll always tell you that before that it's, God works unlike what we do. What we do is that we work Monday through Friday and hopefully we get paid Saturday or Friday or whatever. But God always prepares in advance before anything happens. And even dealing with the Garden of Eden when sin, when Adam covered himself with the fig leaf, God planted the fig tree first. Before Adam sinned, that God created animals because there must be the shedding of innocent blood. So God always made the provision before the occasion happened. And this is what I'll say to you. If you've kind of been feeling bubbly and good and powerful on this side, it's only to prepare you for the days to come. So as Ezra would say in a, in a language, it was for this day and for this purpose that I was born and made manifest. So for whatever days ahead for the church, I'm just telling you that it's, the church is going crazy. And about seven or eight months ago, I began with this process thinking, James chapter 1, James, the servant of, of Jesus, the vessel of God, to the 12 tribes that had been scattered, dysphoria. He's telling that the tribes were scattered, like, like someone getting in an airplane and taking a five-gallon bucket of seeds and just pouring them out. He's referring to the Jewish people that were scattered, and we don't even know where you are because of the tyranny and the adversities that was facing. And I will tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm not in conspiracy theories, but I'll tell you that you, you really need to get more than just information. You need to get revelation in your heart because we may be going through some tough times before long. Some of us always have been going through some tough times, but, but I'm just going to tell you, just stay put, stay together, stay connected. There, there's safety in numbers. I'll tell you that. And so, uh, so this morning, I want to talk about, about following God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about moving from, from, from just the tracks of it to the tones, from the steps to the sounds. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. I think two weeks ago, we, we, we made this comment that in Acts chapter 2, when they began to speak in other tongues, and these 16 nations that were devout Jews, they heard this, and they said, what meaneth this? It was the same Hebrew word for manna. Matter of fact, when the first time, the first morning, when the people of Israel, after their much complaining, woke up and they looked at this, this wafer of bread on the ground and they said this word, what is this? What meaneth this? And it's the same word that was used when the power of Pentecost was, was released. And, and they're saying the same thing. What is this? And, and God in the Old Testament says, this is something that comes down from above. You can't grow it. You can't agriculture it. It just comes from above. Just enjoy it. And, and, and when it's in Acts chapter 2, it says, what is this? What means this? And Peter said, this is that. It was prophesied by Joel. This is nothing new. You just wasn't paying attention. Amen. And so we know at that moment, the power of the Holy Spirit was released. So I want to kind of shortly and abbreviated talk to you about this this morning. And following God doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Been there, done that. We are there now. Now, this came about in a conversation that I had somewhere here in this church, and it's not a bad conversation, but it's a pretty good conversation. But when you learn to follow God, that doesn't make any sense. And you come to me and say, following God doesn't make any sense. There's no sense. I'm going to say, congratulations. That's the right answer. Okay. 
So the conversation that came about is that certain things that have happened in the last few months, this is the conversation that says this, that science makes perfect sense. Now, I will tell you that science is not an enemy of God because the word omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent is what we refer to as God. Omnipresent, he's everywhere. Omnipotent, he's all-powerful. But omniscient, it means this, all science. Science is just a word for knowledge. So when it says that God is omniscient, it means that God knows it all. He knows everything. He knows you in your, in your worst days, and he still loves us. So he says, science makes perfect sense, but it's what he says. But this, this life of faith makes no sense. That's what he said. And this is what he referred to as nonsense. It's nonsense. And I said to him, you have no idea how much truth just come out of your rebellious mouth. And he gave me that look like, I don't understand. And I know you don't understand, but you are so correct that science makes perfect sense, you think, and, 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 and this life of faith is nonsense. You are 100% correct. It is nonsense. So, before you walk out the door, let me explain. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 7, says that we walk by faith and not by sight, or other senses. Now, if you don't know this before you get real spiritual with me, this whole four or five scriptures in context deals with dying. So if you don't know this, before you just run out here and you go, well, we walk by faith and not by sight, I mean, you get this idea that we've we're, we're got goosebumps in faith in God. He's dealing with dying. Now, you, you can use it for whatever you want to. But the word walk is peripateo. Um, it's two words in the Greek. It means it, it's, it's constant circles and constant motions. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of conduct. So this is what Paul is saying. He said that even though that, that we groan with certain things and we don't see the invisible, but, but we know one thing. He says after this, to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. He's telling you this, that, that we walk by faith and not by sight, that we have a heavenly home, that, that God is, is greater than the boundaries of this earth. When I say good night to this earl, I'll just say good morning to God. And that's the way I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to live my life that you're going to throw me in the ground and I'm going to rot and the worms are going to get me. I'm telling you, when I leave this body, immediately I'll let out my, my last exhale here and I'll breathe the exhale of God in just a split moment. And that's the life that I will live till I die. And that's what this verse is dealing with, dying. But it's okay. But he's telling you that, that we, as people of God, we will walk by faith and not by sight or any other senses. And you've got to get past this. You've got to get past what, what, what you feel, what you sense, what, 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 what you think about, and, and things that are tangible and touchable. And we'll deal with this. That has nothing to do with the life of faith. Nothing. Because this life of faith is nonsense. There's no senses involved. This life of faith has nothing to do with what you see, touch, taste, smell, or hear. This life of faith has everything to know what God says. And we're dealing with our death. If he says we have eternal life, Virgil, we got eternal life. 
dealing with this life, he said he's with us and he'll never leave us or forsake us, then I'll live my life according to that. So you kind of get past it. You've got to get past this sense of senses. So I'm not against science because certain science work. God's not in competition with science. When Jesus says that a boy at 12 years old, they wouldn't let him leave the temple. He wasn't just talking about scriptural things. He was talking about agricultural, farming, astrology, scientific things. They wouldn't let him leave. You've heard me talk about this. When he was missing for three days, well, they went back to get him. And they found him in the temple for three days, and, and he was sitting, and people would line up to hear him talk. It wasn't just about scriptures. It was about farming and agricultures and stars and navigations and tides. And even the scientists come to him and say, can you explain this? And he said, I can explain everything about it. Little do you know, I created it. And he would say things to them in order to help natural things on earth expand and expound. And the doctors would stand before me and say, what do you know about blood vessels and blood veins? And he said, I know a lot about it. And he began the discourse of all these things that Snickers is good and lettuce is bad for the body. He talked about all these things. Hey, listen, lettuce can't be that good. Why does rabbits run out the middle of the road and look at you before you run over them? I've never run over a rabbit or a squirrel with a Snickers bar in his hand. That's what I'm going to tell you. Now, somebody on my street a few years ago ran over an armadillo. I don't know who did that, but he's laying on his back, and they put one of these Bud Light cans in his belly like he was walking drunk. I don't know who did that. It's pretty funny, though. So... If we are people of God, and I am, then I've got to live by faith in God and every word that comes out of the mouth of God and the rest of it is nonsense. My senses should not play anything into my behavior and my obedience to what God says. And this does not seem to be the platform of most churches today. So we'll explain. This is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14 in the message. I want to give you the message first, and I'll give you one scripture in the King James. So when you say the word, by the time you get to Hebrews, it's not Shebrews, but you get to Hebrews, this, this is the creme de creme of the people that should know what's going on. This is not elementary, first, second graders. This is high schoolers, and he's in college uh, as far as Judaism and the law. These people should be the creme of the creme. And listen to what Paul says. He gets to them, and he just pulls down their little britches, and he just paddling good. He just paddling away. And he said, I have a lot to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you picked up the bad habit of not listening. By this time, that you ought to be teachers yourself, but here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting with square one. Baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. He used the word, the Greek word for monosyllables, like dada, mama, papa, monosyllables. Milk is for beginners, apiers, inexperiencing God's ways. Solid food is for the mature, who have some, who have some practice in telling right from wrong. So we're, we're not lashing out at anybody, but I'm just telling you, if you've been saved more than 25 years, I mean, I mean, you, you ought to, these bad habits you picked up about 
not assembling yourself together, separating yourself from one another. You need to quit that. You need to understand that there's power in unity, Amen. that the body of Christ were very important. I, I, it's not the same. I appreciate my right arm, but I could have the doctor cut my right arm and hang it over the fireplace. It's not the same. I could say, hey, why don't you come over, Philip? I'll show you where my right arm is. And you would say, well, what was wrong with that? Oh, nothing. I just thought it'd be a great place to hang out. You know, I'm telling you, there's people that just, I mean, for one reason or another, there's, there's, there, there, we need to understand that, especially in these time periods, there's a sense of, of being together. And, and if, you don't, if you don't appreciate or agree what I say, then go somewhere where you can get connected with somebody that you'll stay put, as long as it's true. So when I say that it's nonsense, it is nonsense. So here's the King James Version, because some of you are addicted to King James. Strong meat belongs to them that are full of age. That's, you can see the full age means old. You put Daniel Bork in there. Full age, even those who by reason have their senses exercised to, to discern both good and evil. So it's kind of a confusing, but it's not really. So this is what he's saying. It comes to the point where there's going to be great tyranny that's going to be outpouring in the first century. Paul is telling these people. He's preparing these people, and they're not listening. Soon when they realize that not only that, that Titus would walk in and take over Jerusalem, and he's trying to prepare them in about 63 AD, absolutely, that, that, that danger and havoc is about to be raining down. And he said, some of you really need to be strong in your commitment of faith. But unfortunately, you picked up the bad habit of not listening. You're hearing, but you're not listening. Anybody ever raise kids? Understand that process. So what happens is, he said, this is how you can get to a place of maturity, is that you can exercise your senses. When I say that it's nonsense, it means there's no sense involved. The word, the word first of all, senses, is, is, is where we get a word for, and you know this, but it's, it's organs that has sense. So when you read this scripture, he's dealing with the natural and the supernatural. So he, he said, first of all, you've got to, if you're going to be strong in the word of God, if you're going to be a strong, mighty man or woman of God, the first thing you're going to have to do this is that you're going to have to exercise your senses. So let's talk about what senses is. When I talk about no nonsense, no organs of senses. The ear is to hear. There's only five of them. The eye is to see. The mouth or the tongue is to, to taste. The nose is to smell. And the nervous system is for touching. What we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch, and what we hear, there's five senses. Five senses. And the Apostle Paul says this, if you're going to survive this thing, your senses cannot be a part of your spiritual walk. Not today, but next week, I'm going to tell you how your five senses will fool you and get you in great trouble. Okay? So what happens is, he said, the first thing, if you're going to be a strong man or woman of God, if you're going to endure hardship, then you're going to have to believe that the faith is nonsense, because it is. There's no senses involved. None. Now, I believe in education, and I believe in information, and I believe in all these things, 
But when you get to the point where he says this, you ought to be teachers, it means you ought to be leading by examples. Epinosis is a word. It doesn't mean just giving out. Gnosis is a word for, for, for information. But you should lead by education. Epinosis means education by experience. You people ought to be the one that should be leading younger ones in the church how to endure hardship, but you're the one that's been in 25 years. We're still having to spoon food you and say mama and papa and dad died. He said, this is crazy. You're not listening. There are people in here legitimately that are barely in the church, and I'm glad you're here. We have patience with you. But for you that have been in the church for 50 years, I'm telling you, we've got to get off this bottle. And how do you do this? It's nonsense. Your senses has nothing to do with your life and walk of faith. So what he's telling us is this. If you're going to be a strong man or woman of God, say, I do. Thank you. The rest of you, I don't know what you're doing. It's the first thing. You, you've got to get rid of your senses. So the word exercise your senses is this. Gamazo, it means to strip off. Gamazo is half of it is, is, is to exercise in the gym where we get a word for gym, gymnasium. One time that he tells Paul, he says, he says, exercise does the body profit very little, but you should exercise yourself into spiritual things. It means go to the gym and work out. Gamazo means this. It was a term that was used for wrestlers in the arena. And they would strip off. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm just going to let you know that I, I had some pictures of sumo wrestlers, but i got to eat here in a little bit, so I don't want to look at that. But, but I will tell you, I'm not going to go into detail about this, but I will tell you they would, they would oil themselves up, they would grease themselves up, they would make it where it wasn't easy for somebody to get a hold of them. I mean, and, and, and I'm just going to say they were a speedo like wrestlers. We're, we're going to leave it at that. But they, they stripped off everything. They were almost naked. Now, Greek wrestlers wrestled naked, but we're not even going to talk about that. But they'd strip off. Why? Because clothing was a hindrance to wrestling. So anytime that somebody got in an arena, so let's just go to WWF or whatever they do. I mean, those guys are in good shape. I mean, they're, you can tell they go to the gym and work out. I mean, them guys are just in good shape. But I will tell you, they, as far as what they were, they were as less as possible because, I mean, it's like putting a G-string on a guitar. I mean, it's tight because they don't want somebody to grab old fringes and baggy britches. And you get the idea. So when it says that, when it says that gamazo, it means for two opponents to get in a, in a wrestling match, and it really was a match unto death. But there's some other things that's involved. But first thing, they, they would wrestle naked. They'd take off their clothes for this because they didn't want their opponent to be able to easily get a hold of something and, and, and pull them back. That's what it means. And they knew this. This was a common word to those people in, in the Greek language. His mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek what we refer to as holistic Jews. And so what happens is, is that when he says something like this, they, they got the picture. It was a parable to them. And what they're saying is this, that what you see, what you taste, what you touch, what you hear, and what you smell, you need to get rid of if you're going to live a life of faith. Because your enemy is in a business of deception. Your enemy will use seeing to divert your attention to something that's bad. 
Matter of fact, that Susan and, and Melissa was over whispering, and Don Dixon looked at them, and they were looking at him. And first thing, because he saw them, he's like, well, they're talking about me. And they were. I heard them. But, but besides that. It's true. So if, if we walk by faith, I'm a faith man. I mean, it's, 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 there's a difference between the faith and my faith because my faith, his faith becomes my faith because he becomes in me. So I've learned this through the years. Watch this. What I see, what I hear, what I smell, what I can taste, and what I can touch when, I, when it pertains to spiritual things will get me in trouble. So I'll say it. I'll just say it. You're going to go home. You're going to go home. And as beautiful as you sounded, you're going to kick yourself for three days. You're already kicking yourself. And everybody around you is going to take the church. That's the greatest thing that we've heard since, since Harley-Davidson motorcycles developed that sound coming out of the mufflers. It's a great thing. And then you get in the car, you're, you, something's going to tell you, well, they're just saying this because they feel sorry for you. I'm not lying. I, I don't care if you teach Sunday school class. And, but, but the thing about it is, is that, that you can be deceived and deterred and distracted and held down by the people that are here and the people that are not here. Case in point, well, if there's truth going out, how come the place is not full? That's not even a fair question. If Jesus spoke truth, how come he didn't let 300,000 follow him instead of 12? See? So the idea of this is that smelling and tasting and touching and hearing, those things will get in your way because your enemy can operate in the flesh. But I will tell you, he can't get a hold of you when you're wrestling naked. He used to get hold of your feelings and lead you around. Oh, brother. Oh, he didn't shake my hand. He didn't write my letter. He didn't come see me. He didn't do it. And I mean, poor thing, you. You were led around. The enemy had your feelings. And oh, he led you around years until you broke free of that. Until you understand this principle, that the just shall live by faith. Well, what does that mean? It means that, that living the life of God is nonsense. It's no sense. Your senses should have nothing to do with living a life of faith with God. Amen. Now, if my sight aligns with the Word of God, it's just a bonus. If my hearing lines up with the Word of God, it's just bonus for me. But if these things come in contradiction of what God's Word says, then out my senses go. And I trust God. So what you have to do every once in a while is that you have to exercise your senses. It means you have to every morning when you get up. And I know, I understand. I'm, I'm not living in a glass bubble. I, I go home like you. I have problems like you. I, I have just things, maybe not the same problems, but we all have problems. But what you have to do is, is you have to get up every morning and say this. Regardless of what that's going on in my life and regardless of what I see and what I smell, and what I can touch, and what I can hear. Because see, our enemy works on imaginations. Yes. 2 Corinthians says that, he, that, that God casts down imaginations. He, he only operates on imaginations. 
He never operates on truth. It's imaginations. So he'll, 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 he'll just paint a picture in your mind, and that mind is imagination, and, and, and it'll become something that absolutely that will be set in stone to, to derail you because he messes with our senses. So a life of faith has nothing. So here's the deal. Oh, people come to, oh, how can you admit church? Well, I just didn't feel nothing when I came there. Really? When did feelings have anything to do with anything? Oh, the last church I was in, ooh, it made me feel good. Really? Is that why you run off the road nine times? And I'm not being critical. But, but these people are running from bar ditch to bar ditch. They're running over fence posts and fence posts because they're trying to live a life of faith by senses, and it's nonsense. There's no senses involved. So we've got to learn to do this, especially in the upcoming year. We've got to learn that our enemy loves to hold us back and hold us down through our senses. What we imagined, what we're feeling, what we thought we saw, what we perceived we heard. And he takes that and he holds that against us. And he holds us back and he holds us down. That's our five senses. So the next thing he does was he tells us, so we've got to exercise our senses. What's this? So we can discern what is good and evil. The only way that we can discern, that the word discern is a word called like diacrisis. It's a word, dia means it's a process and crisis means thoroughly to examine. And you put them both together, it means I've examined all the evidence. I've run it under a microscope. I put in a couple beaker tubes. I put all these things through it. And, and, and here's the answer. It means to distinguish or to discriminate. Now, I have been accused in the last two years, and who cares? I don't care. They say I'm judging. I'm not a judge. I'm a discerner. Yes. Big difference. Big difference. They say, oh, you're just judging. I'm not judging you, but I am a discerner. And a discerner is something or someone, it's the spiritual things of God, because, watch this, before you can actually and properly discern what's going on, you're going to have to exercise your senses. I'm not a judge, but I will tell you that your conduct and your attitude and things and that and this and that, I'm telling you, I have come to a place to distinguish good and evil. So the idea is this diacrosis means before that we can truly distinguish or discriminate what his truth is, that we're going to have to get rid of judging people. It's not what I hear, it's not what I see, it's not what I smell, and it's not what I touch. There's something on the inside of me that is screaming truth to me. And I will tell you that God is not a woman. And I will tell you that God has never permitted and allowed certain things that has infiltrated the church and, and religion. And I'm just telling you, I'm not judging. I'm just speaking discernment of truth. We've examined the word. We know what the word says. We understand what God says. And, what I, and somebody said, well, you're going to hurt my feelings. Well, I'm telling you, if your feelings, if, 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 it, if, if, if it's in opposition to the word of God, then I'm glad to hurt your feelings. So the idea was that in order for us to watch this, discern good and evil, and so we'll quit this. But the word good and evil is kalos and kakos. It kind of sounds like cat and rat, but they're not. 
kind of like meekness and weakness. I told somebody, I said, you know, don't ever misinterpret my meekness for my weakness. It sounds the same, but so does cat and rat. The Bible says the word meekness, that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. The word meekness is a word called, where we get a word for plausible, for plastic. God's able to mold and shape. Moses was the meekest man because that he was plausible. He was pliable. Meekness is a great thing in the people of God. It means this, that we have the ability to surrender and let God mold us. Yeah. So here, here's this one verse. If, if ever we needed to know the truth, we need to know truth now. And the word kalos and kakos means something that's worthless and something that's very valuable. And, and in my version, it's called Jesus and junk. Is it really gold or is it fool's gold? Is it, is it, is it really a diamond or is it a cubic's? I know they're both shiny, but when you go to pawn it or sell it, it's, there is a difference. And is what you have, is it really just junk? Or is it really Jesus? Oh, it's shiny. Well, I don't even have a shiny one on. My wife's got one on, it just blinds you, but she may not. But is it really, is it really the real thing? Or is it just a similar lookalike? Now, just stay with me. So how will we know? Just because somebody walks in the door and says, you got a t-shirt that says, Jesus is the Lord, that don't mean nothing to me. Ozzy Osbourne wears a cross. The crosses don't impress me. Really, I'm kind of against it in a nice way. I know it's the preaching of the cross that it brings salvation. I understand that framework. I'm not against it, but I'm telling you, this symbol of the cross makes us all spiritual. It does not. It's more confusing than anything. But anyway, besides that. So if I really want to know truth, and I do, and if there's all kinds of lookalikes in the church, and there is, and there's all kinds of messes going on, how will I know? How will I know if it's Jesus or if it's junk? How will I know if it's the real deal or, or they're just trying to sell me a used camel? How will I know that? And, and here's the answer Paul gives, and they work in reverse. Would you really like to know what's Jesus and what's junk? I do. Would you really like to have the ability to dis discriminate and distinguish gold from fool's gold? I do. Now, I don't know about you, but, but buying jewelry, expensive jewelry, it's, it's really unnerving for me. Because you know why? Because I don't know if they're pulling the wool. One time, David Byers, we went to Mexico. Steve's daddy got down there. <laughs> He's an idiot. And we get down there, and he said, come here, come here, come here. He said, look what I bought. I said, where'd you get that at? He said, I bought it from that guy on the street corner. It's a solid gold ring with diamonds in it. I said, what'd you get for it? He said, $7. I said, it's not real. He said, it's real. Look, it didn't even cut grass, I, uh, glass. I said, David, it's not real. It can't be real. He said, oh, it's real. He said it was real. I said, David, you don't even know what he said. He speaks Spanish. He said, do you want one? I said, for $7, give me one, you know. Well, before we got in the car, my finger was the color of my shirt. It doesn't turn... I mean, deep down, you know it wasn't real. I mean, you know, but it was the fun part of going through that. But would you, when you go to a jewelry, I mean, really? I mean, really? I mean, really? I mean, if, if, it, if it's $29.95, I mean, it ain't a big deal. 
I mean, Danny makes that in a half an hour playing guitar on this church stage. But, but I mean, I mean, but I mean, when you're talking about two, three, four, five, six thousand dollars, if you want to spend that on a ring, and our wives are worth it, right, guys? Amen. Jeffrey, right? Yes. And, uh, yeah, he's shaking his head too. Well, what happens is that you're putting yourself to the guy that's got this little thing, and you're mm-hmm, 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 and you, and really, you're you're at you you know. So one time, Gail and I went to Cayman Islands, and she wanted to buy me a wedding ring. We'd been married, and we, and we got off down there in a place called Rocky's Jeweler. Nice guy. I got to go, but you don't care. And Cleveland don't beat Kansas City for another couple hours, so it doesn't matter. And, and so it, it's, it's, you know, we, we get off down there, and, and, and it doesn't matter, right downtown and blah, blah, blah. And I really, I'm really leery about buying jewelry anywhere, especially anywhere, but... Anyway, you get off down there, and, and so we find this thing. Gail said, I want to buy that for you, and it's beautiful. I wear it every once in a while. I wear it, and then people griped on the stage because the diamonds were just, so I don't wear it too much, or I issue sunglasses. It's, I think it's about two, three, couple carats, whatever it is. It's beautiful. And he shot a price, and I said, oh, that can't be real. It just can't be real. I'm going to tell you right now, for that price, it can't be real. He said, it's real. I said, it can't be real. It cannot. I'm going to tell you what that thing's worth. I think it was $1,500, $2,200, And Gail uh, said, I'm buying it for you. I said, okay. I appreciate it. And I love you. And so when we got home, I had it in a box, and I took it to the jewelry store. And I was just as nervous as you could believe. And I walked in there, and I knew the old boy, and I said, listen, here's the deal. All I want to know is this real. So he took it, and, you know, I had him 40 bucks, straight up. Here, here's 40 bucks. And he opened the case, he goes, wow. He goes, where'd you get that at? And I said, it doesn't matter where I got it. Is it real? <laughs> so off he goes to the back in the laboratory, and I hear a couple cats screaming. I hear a live goat doing something back there, and he comes back. And, and uh, he said, it's real. And I said, what's it worth? And he told me and it was probably worth three or four times more she gave. Well, I guess what I'm telling you is this. When he came right down to it, I needed an expert to distinguish. He didn't just say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge that it's real. Listen, when it comes to spiritual matters, we, more than, we need more than just what we see, what we taste, what we touch, what we smell, and what we hear. We need someone that has the ability to discern to distinguish or to discriminate Jesus from junk. Because there are junk peddlers on every street corner trying to pass out the gospel. So if you really want to be able to, dis to distinguish, is this Jesus or this junk? Then this is how you do it. You start wrestling naked. And you wake up every morning and, and, and you kind of, clack, kind of close your eyes and say, I don't understand anything that's going on. What I'm seeing on television doesn't make sense. What I'm hearing going down the halls of my mind doesn't make sense. I, I don't see how we're going to get through this. I don't see anything good, anything positive that's going to come about any of this stuff. 
It's nonsense. A life of faith is nonsense. There's no senses to it. A life of faith is hearing the Word of God, hearing every word that comes out of the mouth of God, and counting it true. And on that, Christ, our solid rock, is where we stand. And my senses can go to the four directions that it came from, but I have to stand upon the principles and the faith that God loves me, He gave His Son for me, that He died and He rose again, and He's prepared eternity for me and you, for we that trust Him. And before that day comes, that I believe that He's prepared eternal life for me, but I also have to believe that the one who prepared eternal life for me has prepared abundant life for me here. So here's the kicker to this whole thing. Close your Bibles. Joshua chapter 5, verse 12. These people had been standing at the food line, the food buffet bar of God for 40 years. Quail and manna. It wasn't what was for breakfast and supper and dinner. It was just how you want it to be cooked. Because the menu was the same. Quail and manna. Morning and evening. And for 40 years, these people, even though they had revolted against God, complained against God, and they did. They wanted to kill Moses, no telling how many times. They wanted to go back no matter how many times. But this is the deal. After 40 years, and finally Moses dies, and they cross over the Jordan, and before they go into Canaan, watch this. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna but they ate the food of the land of the Canaan that year. The moment they stepped into Canaan, the manna quit. The moment they crossed the Jordan River, the quail stood on the other side waving at them. And you know what they're saying? What's up with this? We're moving, we're, we're, we've crossed Jordan River, we're, we're moving to, to a new territory, Woo! We, we see the city walls, it's fixing to come down, which it did, but God is good, He's been good to us for 40 years, and they got up that morning, no manna, no quail, what's up with this, where'd the goosebumps go, where'd the hallelujahs go? God said, you've been living off goosebumps and fluff and stuff for 40 years. Now then, you're going to live off the produce from now on. There'll be no more manna and there'll be no more quail for you. There'll be the produce, the labors, and you're going to invest and you're going to sow and you're going to till the ground and you're going to go to work. And the lost seed time and harvest will still remain in effect for you. If you sow the seed, I'll cause it to grow. And this is what I'm saying to you as the church. Here it is. The man and the quail is over. The fluff and the stuff is gone. The pie in the sky is on the other side. Once you cross that other land, once you move into another dimension, that, that, that God give me, my name is Jimmy, and God give me, that is sickening to God. God said, I've been doing this for so long, and you're still on the milk. Day will come when you will cross over if you're going to follow me and pursue me and you're going to go to work 
and you're going to sow the seeds of righteousness and you're going to live by faith and you're going to water them with words of gladness and every morning you're going to get up and say the Lord is good and his mercies endure forever and you will eat of the land that you have sowed and watered and cultivated. That's a good word. And maybe if you're starving to death and, you're, and you don't understand where the male, the man and the quail and the goosebumps are, God is saying this, is you've moved on. What have you sown? What have you planted? What have you cultivated? What have you watered? And if you said, nothing, 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 nothing. And he said, guess what's for dinner? Nothing. So, this is what I'll say to you. For so many years of my life, I appreciate the manna, appreciate the quail. I appreciate God doing something for me that I didn't have to do anything. But it came a time when I was following God, I realized that my senses had no placement in following God. And when I crossed over Gilgal, a place of circumcision, when I crossed over and got to the other side, Canaan's not heaven. There's no giants in heaven. Canaan is a place where we where we walk in this life in victory. We're believing God's word in spite of the giants. And from that day forward, I found that God is faithful and true. If I will till the ground, plant the seed, water with words of encouragement, that it'll grow and I can eat of the fruit and the labors thereof. So, this is what I will tell you. What I see, what I smell, what I touch, what I taste, and what I hear has got to be stripped away from my life. And it brings my focus and my concentration to the Son of God who gave His life for me. And upon that, I stand. Amen? I never did like the words, I fell in love. The word fell by definition means like, it means I, I didn't mean for it to happen. I like fell off a cliff. I didn't fall in love with God that He loved me with intention and purpose. And through the years, Donna, I've learned not to fall in love with God. I've learned with intention and purpose to love Him. So if you're saying this morning that I haven't felt goosebumps in a long time, congratulations. If you tell me this morning that I got up and God used to be near and blah, 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 and the quail the man was there and he was running wild and he fed me even in my unbelief and disobedience, but I'll tell you, things have changed. The cloud by day and the fire by night is moving on. We've followed him. So strip your senses. Stand with me this morning if you would, please. Father, I'm just really speaking to the, to the Hebrews this morning. I'm speaking to spiritual men and women that understands this principle. That through years past, it's things that we saw. It's things that we heard. It's things that we've touched, smelt. Those things have been a hindrance to us in our relationship towards you. Because these five senses, we try to figure you out. We try to analyze you according to what we see, smell, hear, touch, or taste. A strong meat belongs to men and women who have learned to strip away senses and trust you. And in that process that we're able to distinguish what is Jesus and what is junk. 
So, Father, this morning I pray for all those that are just kind of going through this cocoon, the, the metamorphosis going on. The quail and the manna has left. And now then you're teaching us to be responsible, to be accountable. You're teaching us to, to put a plow in our hand and say, Lord, bless my crops as I do the work of the ministry. So I pray that from, from the next few weeks, as we just continue to follow you, that we understand that our senses doesn't have a place in us serving you to the fullest. Help our spirit man to come alive. Help our spirit man to serve you with all of our heart. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And all the people of God say amen. Give the Lord a praise offering if you would, please. Huh? <laughs> Father, for the next few moments, for the next few days, I just speak blessing upon the people of God. You have blessed us in so many ways, but now then, change has come. The wind has shifted in another direction. That everything that we prepared and everything that we studied for now that will be put to the test. And I pray that the confidence that we have and that we will show and we will display will be rooted and grounded in your word that we're going to trust you. And we're so thankful for that. Whether you heal my body or not, it doesn't matter. My love for you has never changed. Whether you change the, the zeros in my bank account, that really doesn't matter. My love for you does not change. Whether my homes are together or separate, it really doesn't matter anymore. What really matters is that my commitment to you is unwavering. Help me to strip away my senses that my spirit, man, will be alive and well. That we will be followers of you, pursuers of God. That night, Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating this, this covenant. But it'll be done in a different way. This morning, where our communion service will make their way, is preparing us for the, for the words of the Lord that we may receive. So this morning, I encourage you as we celebrate Holy Communion, as we take the cup and we partake of the bread. We're pursuing God. It's the last thing that He told us to do. And I will say to you that you may say as you go through this, it's not really a tradition. You go through this sense of, of obedience that you may say to yourself that, well, I, I don't see the significance. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't feel the importance of it once again. It has nothing to do with what you hear, taste, smell, see, or touch. It's what the Word of God says. And He says, do this until I come again. So Father, I pray that you bless this cup and you bless this bread and let it find eternal life and abundant life as it is digested to our bodies that we may know more about you in Jesus' name.